Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming the Choir Ninja. best part about being a ninja? The gear. It's the nunchucks, the katanas, the throwing stars. It's the same for choir ninjas. The difference between an ordinary and a masterful performance may come down to your most basic and essential piece of equipment, your music folder. My Music Folders creates a superior product, and they do it with a smile. And because they are friends of the podcast, they have a killer deal for you right now. Get the bulk purchase price break without having to buy in bulk. So whether you have to restock your entire classroom or you just need to replace a few folders, you will get the best possible pricing on the best possible product. So like a ninja, sneak on over to MyMusicFolders.com and use the code NINJA when you check out. Today's episode is brought to you by SightReadingFactory.com. Do you hate teaching sight singing? Do you have a carbon footprint the size of Sasquatch because you run off endless sheets of sight singing examples only to hear your students groan in agony when it's time to sight sing in rehearsal? SightReadingFactory.com is a web-based tool that will compose custom sight reading examples based on specifications that you choose. Your choir will actually enjoy sight singing, and so will you. Plus, you will get back hours of your life and finally feel like the choir ninja you were destined to be. If that isn't cool enough, you can add student accounts that link directly to your teacher dashboard so your kids can practice or even take recorded assessments from home. As a sponsor of this show, SightReadingFactory.com has an exclusive deal just for you, Choir Nation. When you purchase their insanely affordable one-year subscription, you will unlock 10 free student accounts just for using the promo code NINJA at checkout. That's Ninja, N-I-N-J-A. So head over to SightReadingFactory.com. That's SightReadingFactory.com. And don't forget to use the promo code Ninja at checkout to unlock your 10 student accounts absolutely free. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast. And I want to jump in right now and tell you about one little contest that will create big results for your program. Right now over at choir.ninja forward slash contest, uh, we are uh, entering to win a consulting session with Stevie Berryman and myself to actually help you plan your fall concert before it even comes up. And we're going to help you with repertoire. We're going to help you with with um, creating a beautiful through line in your concert and uh, even help you with the marketing uh, and the different types of uh, graphic media that go along, including creating your concert program, a beautiful concert program just for you. So head on over to choir.ninja forward slash contest to jump in. Secondly, we just did a little comment contest over in the Choir Nation Facebook group. So head on over to Facebook.com and join the Choir Nation Facebook group. And in this little comment contest, it was a choir music mashup. Basically combine two published pieces of choral music to make one brand new piece. We had three comment winners. They were in this order from third to first. Stephania Abdel, Kayla Morton, and Rebecca Perkins Terwillinger. 
Stephania's submission was Barbara Allen plus Annie Laurie equals I just died in your arms tonight twice. I think that that's hilarious. Kayla Morton said down by the Sally Gardens plus Johnny said no equals my middle schoolers breakup stories, which is completely true. I, I've been there, taught middle school for a decade. Totally get you, Kayla. And then lastly, Rebecca said, the rainbow connection plus Taylor the latte boy equals longing for a unicorn frappuccino. And once again, Starbucks gets a shout out on the podcast. There you go. So everybody, uh, Rebecca, Stephanie, Kayla, thank you so much for participating. All right, so let's hop into today's episode with Amanda Quist. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast, and I'm delighted to have with me today Amanda Quist of Westminster Choir College. Uh, She is back after, gosh, almost two years of not being on the show. Uh, She was one of the first episodes, episode seven, of the Find Your Forte podcast, which uh, came out in April 29th, 2015. So, uh, it's been a couple of years, almost almost exactly two years, and she had an episode called Your Students Are Worth the Investment, and I'm pretty sure that she's up at like the top 20 episodes, and now this is the 100th uh, episode, uh, interview episode of the Find Your Forte slash Choir Ninja podcast, so she is here to join me for this historic occasion, and uh, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. I guess we'll just hop right in. Thanks for having me. Well, Amanda, so um, when we, you know, before when we were back on the Find Your Forte podcast, we were really talking about, um, you know, the the big picture journey stuff. And now with the Choir Ninja show, we are really getting into the technical stuff and how to make your program better in maybe technical ways and logistical ways and all that sort of stuff. And I know that you have a very special job at Westminster Choir College because you're the first choir director that new students meet. So I think that comes with some, some unique rewards and some special challenges. Would you, would you tell me a little bit about, about that? Sure. Yeah, so I direct the chapel choir at Westminster, which is the choir for all of the freshmen. And so all freshmen entering the school come through this choir regardless of their major. So we have students who um, have been singing since they were tiny, and we have students who have never sung in a choir before and everything in between. The majority of them, of course, have sung before, but um, some of them haven't. So the first thing I need to do is figure out how to get them all kind of moving in the same direction vocally. Okay, so so chapel choir we meet four day four days a week, right? Four days. Four a days week. a week. Yep. Okay. I mean, I was in it at one point, and I and I I I think Thursday you have off, right? That's right. Okay. Okay. Still the same. And so you have kids coming in at different levels of reading. You have kids coming in. I mean, you have kids that maybe were voice performance majors that maybe didn't sing in the choir, but they only ever studied privately during high school. I mean, yep. Give me give me some of those like kind of kids that you that you see that show up. Yeah, so we have students who, um, you know, the students with the most experience are students who probably have been doing their high school all state and different things like that. And they have done a lot of repertoire, a lot of choral singing, and they have a lot of previous training, especially if they've done the Vocal Institute with me in the summertime at Westminster, they know kind of what to expect. Um, But then sometimes we do have vocal performance majors who maybe have not sung in a choir before. 
And um, so the idea of making a sound that works with other people is new. Um, we have students who are maybe organists and pianists who have not focused on choral singing or singing at all. So for the first time, they are being asked to sing, um, being asked to read, you know, just sight reading with no instrument in front of them. So those are kind of the, the different types of students that we have in the choir. So what is something you're going to do like on day one of chapel choir? Because I feel like some people are going to know you, right? Because they went to Vocal Institute. And by the way, this is a, a quick plug for Westminster Choir College Vocal Institute. I'm an, an alum of Vocal Institute. Uh, that sealed the deal for me as far as going to Westminster. Um, I had Dr. Jordan at the time. Um, and I won't even tell you what year that is. And, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, Dr. Quist runs that program now. And Vocal Institute really is just a sample of Westminster Choir College for two weeks. Like, if you just want to, like, know what Westminster Choir College is like, you'll go to Vocal Institute, and you'll pretty much uh, Xerox that for the, the next four years, and that's kind of what it's, what it's like. So, yeah. um, um, so you'll, you'll have some kids that you know because they, or at least faces that you recognize, and you'll have kids who have never seen you before. You have, these or, you have organists and pianists who may not have sung in a choir. Or, so in order to... I guess to get them feeling that sense of accomplishment on day one, which I'm sure is very, very important because, and I think you and I have spoken about this before that like you have the most important job at Westminster choir college, like no pressure, Amanda. But, <laughs> but I mean, if kids, if, you know, if kids have a great experience in chapel choir, they're more likely to stay. And I know there's probably the biggest attrition between freshman and sophomore year, at least that was when I was there. Um, I would say we probably lost a third of our class between freshman and sophomore year based on Westminster's not for me, you know, it's just a really intense school. Um, but I feel like you could, you could definitely, um, inspire kids to, to stick it out. So, but yeah, it starts with well, day one. So what does day one look like? Well, um, day one, I'll just tell you what we actually do. We have a, a first day, which is an orientation day, and we sing and we also do um, activities to build community right from the get-go. So we do several activities that are designed to help the students see how they are connected. Um, so these can be things like um, talking about the music that you love. Students, for some reason, just love to talk about their favorite composer, which isn't necessarily a classical composer, but their favorite writer, their favorite piece, um, their major. They like to just talk a little bit about who they are. So we just design games for them to connect with one another. Um, but one of the first things I do is I warm them up, actually. Uh, so instead of singing a piece, we do voice building because um, they can all do what I'm asking them to do, regardless of their experience. So they can all move their body. They can all breathe. They can all match pitch. Um, those kinds of things. So I do voice building right away so that we are making sounds together. And I'm really careful to reinforce right away the beauty of the composite of their sound because um, I want their first contact with me and with each other to be one where they are putting themselves into the sound and receiving positive feedback from that. So from there, we can start to build sort of a, a cohesive element, as it were. So God. Did your process change from day one of you taking over Chapel Choir to, let's say, what it would be in August of 2017? Um, hmm, not a lot. 
to be honest. You're not looking Um, back at like your first year going, oh my gosh, what did I do my first year? (laughs) No, I think the biggest surprise my first year was just that not all the students had sung before. So when we start doing solfege games or things like that, I I realized uh, my first year that, oh gosh, for some of these students, they're looking at me like like they think it's ridiculous or crazy or asking them to step touch or do something with their body. They aren't Mm -hmm. used to it. They're uncomfortable. So I did realize quickly that I had to figure out how to break the ice with them. That aspect has changed. But I, for the most part, I'm doing similar things, I would say, to what I do in the beginning. Okay. So, so you're doing a lot of things at the beginning of, of their experience that are corporate. You're not, you're not going, okay, First day of Westminster Choir College, let's all have individual hearings and listen to, to, to you know, to in, in, individual voices and there's idle time. I mean, you're doing a bunch of group stuff right away, correct? Well, actually, we have choral hearings at the beginning of each year that every single student in the school goes through, mm-hmm. but those aren't in the context of a chapel choir rehearsal. They're assigned a time and it's a part of their orientation. So they come in, they sing a piece, they sight read, they do tonal memory, and it gives me a sense of where to place them in the choir, mm-hmm. little sense of their experience. So I do know a little bit about them vocally before that first rehearsal. But in the first rehearsal, everything we're doing is absolutely what you said. It's all to together. It's all collaborative. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, so take me through what an average Amanda Quist warm-up for chapel choir is like. How long, what, is there a particular sequence that you, that you follow that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I try to do five to seven minutes. I don't want it to be, yeah, I don't like it to be so long that they're just, they've kind of lost sight of things. In the very first rehearsal, we might do a little bit longer warm up, um, but not because I'm warming them up. We're just doing training exercises. So it might be a little longer, but on average, five to seven minutes. Okay. Um, so I try to follow a sequence that starts with the body, then goes to the breath, then goes to tone, then goes to intonation or some kind of, um, challenge that we're going to find in the repertoire. So first thing I'm going to do is something physical. So I always read the choir. If I walk in and I'm prepared to do something really high energy and they're all over the place, I might do something that's calming and bring them brings them together. So something as simple as um, just taking a moment and remembering our posture and just going, you know, from the feet all the way to the head, how do we stand? Or closing our eyes or going through some mental imagery. It just kind of depends on what I see when I walk in the room. If they're low energy, we'll do step touching or we'll do jumping jacks or we'll do something to get them kind of moving and kind of get them energized. Okay, can I pause you for one second? Yep. What, what, what do you mean by read the choir? So, and, and what do you do to read the choir? Ah, so when I walk in the room, I have a plan in my mind, but I look at them and I try to do my best to assess their energy. I can't know for sure how they're doing, but sort of based on the weather, based on what's going on at school, the time of the semester, I try to assess as best I can what I think they need. Um, And if they seem like they're really hyper and they're running all over the place, then I'll try to do something that's going to help to focus them. If I come in and they look tired and kind of worn out, I'll try to do something that's going to bring their energy up. Um, So I try to kind of be ready for whatever I walk into. And their energy really kind of does change from day to day. I mean, as probably any choirs does. So you have a repertoire of 
how many physical activities you would say for any occasion? What, what do you think like a choir director should have in their repertoire of like, okay, they're reading the choir and they got to pull out from one of the <laughs> activities. I mean, 20? I mean, you know, like... No, I always, I always tell my students have three ways to solve a problem. So three. I'll come in and I'll have, I'll have three solutions. Like, okay, they're doing this. Here are three possible things we can do to solve, you know, whatever it is. So I try to keep it simple and stick with three, <laughs> if okay. I can. Okay, okay. So, so what is a... It's a dreary day outside. It's raining. It's gross. You can see the kids... The kids come in and they're they're drenched from getting to from one class to the next because they're too broke to afford an umbrella and uh, <laughs> you know and they just found out you know uh, um, some some tough news about something you know yeah uh, what would a, what would a, what would a warm up look like at the be- at least so- the beginning. In a case like that, I would ask them to stand up and I would I would get them to be quiet so that I could immediately get their energy away from whatever that outside stuff is. And I would do something physical. So I might have them do like step touches or anything that's rhythmic and that involves some kind of movement or dancing, mm-hmm. um, especially if it involves any kind of a rhythm that relates to pop culture. They tend to smile. They like it. It's familiar. Sometimes they laugh, whatever it is. But I, I get them going and then we change the tempo Um, sometimes I have them do little things where they run in place and they have to follow the leader. And when I stop, they stop, but anything that's kind of quick, high energy and group movement is what I'll do. So, and then we'll go from that and, um, we'll do call and response and things like that. But I try and do things that are really quick, fast paced where they have to totally forget and disconnect from whatever it is that they just walked in from. Do you ever have a problem with buy-in as far as like, yeah, okay. Like I'm I'm seeing you Dr. Quist, but um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not with you. We can tap dance all you want, but mm-mm, not going to happen today. Absolutely. So, at the very beginning, there's always trouble with buy-in, especially for students that have not done it before. Okay. So, I do spend some time kind of in the beginning explaining um, you know, one way to do it is say you just have to do it. You know, mm-hmm. then just kind of the hard way. But a lot of times what I do is I'll talk to them about Um, what are the things that we're building when we do these things? So we talk about, okay, when you see the best choir you've ever seen in your life, what are the things that that choir does? And they always come up with the same stuff. They move together, they sing together, they, they have great rhythm together, they have facial expression, they're engaged. So we break it down and we talk about what probably is happening in those rehearsals and we talk about the reason you move and the reason you engage your body is because it's so much a part of what is going to eventually lead to success. And so when they know that the reason for it is not to be silly and not to be goofy, but it's actually a way for us to get better, um, they tend to buy in. And when they start to relax with each other and they get comfortable with each other, they tend to they tend to be excited to do it. But yeah, there's certainly times when they're looking at me and rolling their eyes in the beginning. But usually after the end of, of the first week, they're all, they're, they're all about it. How has this very social culture as far as like social media is concerned, how has that changed rehearsals for you? Um, I know if I was like as a high school director, I know getting kids to stay present because potentially that cell phone comes out of their folder or something, or they're dealing with some crisis, which is I'm sure not a crisis uh, for, you know, a 30 year old, but for 20 year old, 18 year old, it might be a crisis. How do you deal with that? I mean, do you have a cell phone policy? Like, and, I do. 
Because I had a cell phone, but I, it didn't do anything when I was in college. Like it just sent, sent or received calls, right? So um, I can't imagine what that's like when kids are Snapchatting each other 24-7 and this and that. Um, right. What does that look like? I have, a, I have a cell phone policy right in my syllabus. There's no cell phone use in rehearsal. Um, if I see a student with a cell phone, they're marked absent. Um, oh. so it's, it's a no tolerance policy. Sometimes they use cell phones, you know, like we'll sing happy birthday to somebody's, you know, mother or, and that's fine. But in rehearsal and during rehearsal, they're not supposed to have them out. I'm aware that occasionally they do have them out and I don't catch them. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's hard for them to even spend a single hour not checking their phone, you know, cause God forbid somebody would, something would happen and they'd miss it in that hour. And it's, it's hard for them, I think, to be pulled away from that. But I think it's pretty crucial for them psychologically to be able to spend an hour just making music and not worrying about their phone. So, um, so that's why I have the policy there. And I know people who collect cell phones at the door. So students will put it into the basket at the door and do, I don't, I'm not that severe with it, but it's definitely in my syllabus. So what is the attendance policy then? You are allowed to have two absences and we tell them for whatever reason, if you're not feeling well, um, you have a flat tire, whatever, two absences and it doesn't affect your grade. After two absences, your grade starts to be affected. And then we say two tardies equals one absence. And the only time we make exception to that is if there's something extenuating, like a death in the family or somebody is hospitalized or you know, stuff that stuff that warrants kind of an emergency meeting, things like that. But that's basically the, the policy. And that's from top to bottom. That's chapel choir all the way through symphonic choir, which is our choir for our junior, seniors, grad students. So they know the policy is not just mine, but it's the whole school it's policy. Thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let, let, let's continue on. So we went, we went from the body, the beginning of the rehearsal warm up, um, jumped on that cell phone rabbit hole for a second because I was really interested in hearing about that. Um, <laughs> Okay, let's 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 just move on down to, uh, I guess breath would be would be the next. Yeah. So for breathing, I'm thinking repertoire and I'm thinking what they need. So if we're doing a lot of sustained stuff, we have to learn how to do you know the concept of appoggio, which literally is an Italian term to lean. And so we need to figure out the balance of muscles and the balance of um, pressures and everything necessary to create a beautiful sound. So we'll do that through. Um, you know, long exhalations um, with different kinds of sounds. But I'm kind of particular, I like them to use a shh sound, but not a s sound. Um, And the reason for that is I had a voice teacher that talked to me about that quite a bit. There's quite a difference in the back of your tongue from one to the other. Mm -hmm. One allows kind of a free back of the throat and the other one creates tension. So I always ask them to release on a shh sound rather than anything else. Um, sometimes we do lip buzzes and lip trills and those are good too, but, um, long sustained sounds where they have to be mindful of the balance of, um, inhalation, exhalation, those muscles that are antagonistic. Uh, but then if we're doing something handle, Bach, whatever, we have to work on the quick response muscles as well. So we'll do call and response. We'll do different consonants. Um, we'll do different rhythms to establish tempo, things like that. But anything dealing with breath, I always warm up the breath because I think it's a mindfulness thing. Um, then we jump to tone and tone is, um, again, I have to read them. So if they are high school students and I'm doing an honor choir and they are, 
um, experienced, but not overly so. I want to start building head register and bring sound down. If they are chapel choir students, I do that, but then I also try to build the resonance. And so it's always a balancing act of chiaroscuro, bright and dark. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with those kids who, yeah, like they, they showed up for Vocal Institute and, you know, they've been wailing Adele for, you know, with their, with their, quote-unquote voice teacher for the last four years you know they were a star by the time they were nine years old now they showed up at vocal institute and all they can sing is anything below a g on the on the treble clef Um, yeah what do you where do you place a student like that would you place them in soprano and and just say okay we're gonna just you're gonna just be working on on this more uncomfortable side of your voice for a while or, or what would you do with that I think it depends. I try to listen. If, if the student comes in and auditions with a piece that I only get to hear their chest register, I'll do a little vocalizing in their head voice so that I can get a sense of where are they really? Are they actually a soprano who's only ever really belted or what What are we dealing with? So if they're truly a soprano, I'll place them in the soprano section and talk to them about, you know, we're going to be using a different part of your voice and it might be a little uncomfortable, but it's going to make your entire voice stronger. Sometimes I place those students in the alto section, but I talk to them about um, how to balance the volume and, and the pressure and all of those kinds of things. So I try to put them where I feel their voice truly sits okay. if I can so that they're most comfortable. This is very self-affirming for me. So I'm, I'm glad that we, I feel like we, we share that that philosophy. This is, this is good. I actually feel <laughs> great about myself right now. Um, okay. So, um, what about, uh, when you said if they're truly a soprano, yeah, what does that mean? Well, if I, if I start vocalizing them and let's say, let's take a major five note scale. So the top note of a major is E and let's say we're just doing up and down a five note scale on an U vowel. For example, we're going up by half steps and I notice that as we go E, F natural, F sharp, G, that there's there's an easiness and the passaggio sits somewhere around F sharp or G. And there's an easiness in the top of their voice that I'm going to assume that they can probably sing soprano fairly comfortably in the choir. If I can kind of hear a shininess and a clarity. If they get up to that part of their voice and it sounds like a struggle, I hear breathiness in the voice. Um, they can't quite figure out which how to modify then they might not quite be ready to, you know, to sing repertoire that's going to sit up there in terms of tessitura. So even if they're a soprano, but they're not quite developed yet, I might have them sing second soprano or alto until they're um, a little bit more ready to sit up in that part of their voice. But I try to, if I hear a natural height to the voice, I try to place them in the soprano section. And so define then for me what you feel like an, an alto is. Altos are so tricky, especially at that age. Um, High school and the age of the chapel choir singer, not much different. Um, You know, a true mezzo probably doesn't develop until their early 20s anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I hear a voice that has a natural easiness in kind of the mid part of the staff, so anywhere around F, G, A, uh, if I hear an easiness and a fair amount of color in that part of the voice, then I feel like they probably can handle singing alto without becoming too tired. Um, if I vocalize them down, down to maybe middle C and below, and the voice just completely disappears, 
Um, it's possible that it's a mezzo that hasn't developed their chest register, but probably it's a soprano that has no voice there, and they're just going to be exhausted if I place them in that part of my choir. So even if they read like crazy, I don't want to put them in the alto section because um, they're not going to contribute much to the sound anyway, and they're just going to be exhausted and frustrated. So I'm listening kind of for a natural opening of the voice in the mid to low register. And sometimes sopranos have that. And sometimes they're very comfortable singing alto and choir. It just kind of depends on the singer. So then let's just keep going with it and talk to me about about a 18-year-old tenor and baritone. Oh, yeah. So, again, uh, very tricky to assess. I have um, young men that walk into chapel choir whose voices haven't even totally finished changing yet. Um, so when that happens, a lot of times they're kind of baritoners, mm-hmm. um, meaning that they sing from maybe, let's say, um, oh, I have to think of my numbers now. So C4 is middle C, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe they're singing from F3 to C4. They're just singing that five note um, range, and that's kind of where their voice sits. So that's somebody who um, doesn't really fit in the tenor section, doesn't really fit in the bass section either, but um, I might place them as a tenor two or a baritone until I know better where they are. But I listen to the break. If I hear their passaggio happening up around F sharp G, probably a tenor. If the passaggio sits a little lower than that, uh, might be a baritone or a bass. And then I listen for, again, clarity and ring in the voice. So if they come in and they sing Caro Mio Ben, um, and let's say they sing it in the E flat major version, and they can just kind of start on that E flat with a nice easiness, um, chances are probably can handle singing tenor. But if they struggle at the top, they might be a tenor, but they might not be ready to hang out up there in choir. Um, I also listen to the bottom end. If the bottom end opens up and you hear a lot of clarity and color in the bottom end of the voice, then I might try them in bass. But often with students that come in in the fall, I give them about a month, and then we have a little better sense of where they might need to go. Do you reclassify a lot of students after that month is, is, is through? I wait until our first concert, which usually happens the very first week in November. So that's about so six weeks into school. Mm-hmm. And then I often will revoice them because by then their voice teachers have kind of helped them to establish, you know, some comfortable um, uh, ranges and so forth. And I'll, I'll revoice them just slightly, not, not tremendously. The change isn't there maybe four or five students out of 90 that need to be changed, but I try to remain open as they start to figure it out. Gotcha. Okay. Well, as we go into the next thing, and I appreciate you uh, defining that because I I'm liking the fact that we're going through this and we're jumping down little rabbit holes because, because <laughs> I mean we're because we're getting the overarching structure of a warm up, but we're understanding really how how you look at it and and, and the the importance of each thing and uh, and defining that that soprano alto tenor bass thing for choir nation is huge because these questions come up all the time, you know, uh, online and Facebook groups and things like that. You know, I have a student that does that can sing from here to here, da, da, or they've only sung, like they've only sung Adele. They sound like Jan- Janis Joplin. What do I do with this? You know, <laughs> yeah. so I'm really glad that you helped to find that. Thank you. Um, now, before we get into like this intonation part of your exercise, your exercises, um, one of the things I, I want to ask you is: is uh, have you ever heard of Sight Reading Factory? Sight Reading Factory? Um, no, I've d- I do a lot of sight reading with them and skill building with that, but not Sight Reading Factory. Okay, so. Sight Reading Factory happens to be the sponsor of this episode, and it is an online tool, sightreadingfactory.com. 
uh, where you can define your choir. You can choose different different uh, characteristics of a sight reading example. How many measures? What key? Uh, what elements you'd like it you'd like it to to spit out? Um, amongst other things, and uh, it you, you basically click a button that says generate. Uh, and it will create through an algorithm a beautiful sight singing example for your choir. Uh, oh wow! It changed my game completely this year. Uh, this is when I found out about it, and uh, even my uh, good friend Danny Gutierrez of Reed Academy Middle School, who presented at ACDA, uh, his he said he spends twenty percent of his instructional time using Sight Reading Factory. Uh, so. Uh, it's what's able to get a middle school to sing high school and college level repertoire. So uh, it's something that uh, is incredibly important to lots of members of Choir Nation. It's important to to me as a director, but it's also important to the Choir Ninja podcast because they support us. So um, if you haven't seen Sight Reading Factory, this is something you need to check out, Amanda, because I will. Do you have a screen in your in, in the rehearsal room? We do, and we do use it sometimes for, for reading and different... We, we've used some tools, but I have yet to find sort of the perfect one, so I will check it out. This might be the perfect one, and if you put a GA on that on that on <laughs> Reading Factory and say, okay, we are going to be singing our first piece in the key of E-flat today, so we might as well do a sight reading in E-flat to, to get our ears in tune for the rest of the rehearsal, you know, go construct one on Sight Reading Factory... They put the difficulty, the parameters, this and that, and they click, they click go, and it just whoop, puts it right into place. Nice. Makes you a beautiful uh, um, example in less than a second. And then if you, want it, if you want to do more practice, all you need to do is click uh, another, another generate button, and it'll make a brand new one with all the same parameters. So it's pretty awesome, and there are student accounts. So um, Choir Nation, if, if you want to sign up for Sight Reading Factory, uh, just type in the promo code NINJA and you will get 10 free student accounts for you to try with your choir. And I know a lot of people that send their kids to Allstate that have, that have a sight reading component uh, that yep. use those 10 free student accounts for their Allstate kids. So, um, nice. So, yeah. So, uh, it's pretty cool. And you can, so you, can have your, you can do a sight reading um, assessment with your chapel choir and have your GAs actually um, – uh, check in with your students on their st on the the dashboard and say, okay, um, uh, I know you have one of my former students, David. Uh, you can say, uh, David, all right, you're gonna we're gonna assign you a sight reading. You're gonna go on. It's gonna it's gonna count down thirty seconds. You're gonna look at this thing, and, and then it'll give you a starting pitch, and then you just sing, and it will record through your laptop, and then it will submit it to your to your GA automatically, and they can actually assess a sight reading grade. Pretty, it's nice. Pretty, it's pretty amazing. It's actually, it's revolutionary technology as far as I'm concerned. So, um, so there you go. So let's with that, let's get into a little bit of intonation. All right. Uh, well, so usually what I'm trying to do is build build tone that will lead to free singing and good intonation because I believe that good intonation is helped greatly by good technique. So hopefully by now, through through posture and breath and tone exercises, we've built enough of a sense of technique that the intonation becomes easy. But I talked to them about the foundations of, um, you know, singing triads. We have we have lots and lots of triad singing that we have to do before we can do all of the ninths and all the fun harmony. 
So I, I try and talk to them about producing a tone that's going to produce a lot of overtones. So something that is clear and resonant is going to have a lot of energy in the overtones. And of course, the first overtone is an octave, the next one is a fifth, and then an octave, and then on and on it goes. So if the, if the basses, for example, are producing a great clear pitch and we have overtones from them, we can start to build triads using our ears and listening for when the harmony feels clear in the room, when it feels like it's, um, when, it, when, when there are no beats, you know, is a word that people often use. Um, and so if I do that and I start with just roots and fifths, just does and sos, the students usually by feel can find a good place for intonation. And then we start to figure out where the thirds go. So when we have trouble with tuning chords or anything, we strip it down and we look at a chord and say, okay, who's got the roots? All right, you guys sing. Who's got the fifth? Sing. Who's got the third? Okay, who's got the ninth? Who's got the whatever else? Um, but they, they tune that way, and, I, and that tends to help build their, their um, ears regardless. And then sometimes I build their ears with ex- exercises like solvage scales. Um, stopping on certain notes, different modes, like one group is singing Dorian, one group is singing Mixolydian, um, just kind of building their linear ears as well as their vertical ears so that they're thinking intervallically, also harmonically, all of which hopefully will eventually help us when we get to our sight reading. So those are the kinds of intonation exercises. And then, of course, we incorporate vowels with the intonation exercises. So I usually start with E or U because they tend to, E produces a lot of um, kind of upper form and energy, and U helps uh, the students to kind of create a clear pitch. So I usually start with one of those two vowels, and then from there we'll, we'll use a successful sound and go into the other vowels to try to build clarity in all, all of them. Awesome. What next? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that are you're you're hitting sort of that range extension and stuff during these these um, these intonation exercises, or or is that a whole separate part of your warm up? I usually do it before intonation. So with the, when I'm doing with the tone, I do something buzzy or something that where I'm building kind of their resonance first if they need it, or building their head voice if they need that. Um, so we do five note exercises, then we build range. So I'll do you know the popular I love to sing, which is so do so me do. Mm-hmm. Or um, we'll do nine-note scales on a vowel, just different things to start to get the body and the breath connected and letting the voice open up. Um, And then um, depending on the repertoire, I like to vocalize on um, we a lot. So the very first sound they're making is an ooh, but essentially they're getting to an e. So it helps create space, but allows us to find clarity in the sound. So we might do a top-down exercise, um, G-F-E-D-C, on wee, 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 or something like that, um, just to help build clarity and connect the breaths of the voice. So I do that before intonation. And then with intonation, we start to play around with different different chords and sounds that they're going to hear in their repertoire. So what else is left? Is that, five, is, that, is that your full five to seven minutes? That's our five to seven minutes, yep. Um, sometimes I'll do a warm-up if, if there's something happening in the music. Like let's say I'm doing a Bach cantata and there's a, a fugue subject I want to teach them. I might use that in the tone-building part of the warm-up so that I can teach them um, you know, the text, the intonation, the shape, whatever it is. I'll, I'll pull stuff in from the repertoire when I can to try and help them problem-solve before we get to the rep. But other than that, that's kind of what we do. And it's a similar kind of process each day. So do you do you work better when you like really map out a warm up or or do you work better when 
you're given the ability to be a little more on the fly? Um, it kind of depends on what I'm trying to accomplish in the rehearsal. Um, I usually have a pretty strong idea about what I'm going to do in my warm up. Um, and that's usually most successful. But there, again, there are times when I might hear something and I might just change in the middle of the stream um, because I don't hear enough clarity in the sound or for some reason we're, we just haven't kind of gotten the, you know, maybe there's too much weight in the sound or whatever it is. So I'll, I'll you know, instead of my I love to sing, I might switch it and do it just on a neutral vowel because I feel like we're not quite ready for all of the vowels of the English language or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So. I try to just be ready to listen and assess as I'm going, but kind of stick to my plan. Okay. Now, Amanda, you have you have the the ears of hundreds of middle and high school choir directors right now. So the question I have for you is, what as a as a collegiate level director, what would you just love to say to middle and high school uh, directors? And I mean, obviously, there's going to be people from church and all sorts of other uh, other places or you know uh, that are listening to this as well but um if you had a wish list you can because you can say you can say nice things i'll let you say nice things too um but if you had <laughs> a, a wish list and say oh, please 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 by the time uh, you know i get your students i would love them to know blank what would that what would that wish list be i think the absolute number one thing would be to sight read I think I think it's just the most crucial thing that a student knows how to sight read. Um, you know, the vocal technique, of course, is is important, and that they know how to breathe. But if students can read, there's just no limit to what they can do. That would be my absolute number one thing. And then I think um, the ability to experience lots of different kind of repertoire. So it's not just all the same kind of 21st century pretty pieces, but that there's, there's a variety in what they've experienced and what they learn to, what they learn to appreciate and love. But I just think sight reading is so much the key to their success in every part of their music study. And I didn't even pay you to say that. So there you <laughs> no, go. No, you didn't. It's the truth. <laughs> so now, now, um, Wow, uh, this is this has been great, and I, I feel like I, I do want to have you back at some point, hopefully in the near future. Um, I know that you are the the chairperson of the the uh, choral conducting department at Westminster. You have a you got your you have a very full schedule, but I'd love to have you back because I know that you you present on. Um, I, I don't even know how you say it when you when you when you present at conferences. You present on um, class not classification, but I do a lot of sound building. Sound building, okay. Yeah, and I, I guess you could call it sort of like choral vocal pedagogy. Okay, yeah. I mean, so th this is something that I like. I want to hear more about. But we probably don't have time to do it today. But uh, I really think um, that would be something that that, the, that we could all benefit from. Um, it, are Great. you are you coming up at presenting at anything in the near future that we should we should be aware of? Oh, that's a good question. Um, most of what I'm doing in the next few months are adjudications and things like that. Um, I'm presenting in North Carolina next year um, and Colorado, and then I'm conducting Missouri, Allstate, and Oregon. Um, but in terms of presentations, I think North Carolina is the next one that I have, and okay. I can't remember the date off the top of my head. I'm That's sorry. Fine. Well, we have lots of friends in Missouri. I don't know about Oregon, but we have tons of, of fans of this podcast in Missouri. So, so Fabulous. I'm sure they're, they're going to be happy to have heard from you by then. 
Well, Amanda, I, I really appreciate you being with us. This has been a, a great episode. And uh, yeah, I just thanks for being number 100. So I really appreciate it. Uh, Am I number 100? That's awesome. Yeah. So 007 and 100. Perfect. And, uh, <laughs> now we've had over 140 episodes so far on the podcast, but when I first started, I never, when I did my own solo episodes, I never labeled them a number. They were called Technique Tuesday. Uh, and they had, they were just, spe- they were just special little breakout episodes. I only numbered the interviews. So we have a lot more than a hundred, but for, as far as interviews go, we're at number 100. So awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you to Sight Reading Factory and also mymusicfolders.com for sponsoring this episode. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll catch you in North Carolina, Oregon, everywhere else you're going to be. Uh, and uh, and thanks, for, thanks for the interview. Thank you. There you go, ladies and gentlemen of Choir Nation. That was an awesome interview with Amanda Quist. Want to make sure that you check out the show notes at choir.ninja forward slash 100. There you can uh, get access to the deals uh, from My Music Folders and Sight Reading Factory. You can also enter the contest uh, for Stevie and I to do your concert planning with you for your fall concert, uh, amongst other things. Again, it's choir.ninja forward slash 100. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Choir Ninja.